0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Lady T, and you are listening to Consensus Pod. Here on Consensus Pod, we discuss faith, family, and how to navigate modern society as a member of the nuclear family structure. Well, the past three episodes, we discussed some very interesting topics. Um, We premiered our podcast with the discussion on father hunger. We continued in our second episode with the discussion on the deinstitutionalization of marriage and all that came from that. And we followed up with divorce culture and a discussion on divorce culture, what happens when a society embraces destroying the families. And here we are again to discuss the aftermath I could could say of destroying the family and that is the creation of baby mama, baby daddy culture. (sighs) I for one am deeply disturbed by the fact that this ever became normalized and I'm not judging anyone. I'm not judging single parents. I'm not judging people from single parents. Uh, from single parent homes, I should say. However, even those who are raising children by themselves, as I've heard it from mothers particularly, and those who come from single parent homes will tell you that it is not the best environment to raise child in. So I'm gonna roll the music here before we get into our discussion on what happened, uh, why embracing the single mama, single daddy lifestyle was not a good idea. And we're going to kick off with some celebrity news. Let's roll the music. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, so we're going to kick off this episode with a brief background in celebrity dysfunction related to the topic. And I'm going to take you guys back a year ago where and Out host slash, I guess he's a rapper. Uh, Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't anymore. Anyway, Nick Cannon, who has, I think many of us grew up listening to, we watched him as children in Nickelodeon shows. Then we, of course, we kind of grew up with him into the... Love doesn't cost a thing movie, and from there we we all grew up together. You know, Drumline, which was a very good movie in my opinion. So we grew from this wholesome, down to earth, seemingly innocent boy into what we really discover is a man with a lot of issues. And it started last year when uh, he sat down with an interview to discuss. The fact that he had, I believe, at the time, like six or seven kids by four different women. And so reading from Atlanta Black Star on August 9th, we read, it may just be Nick Cannon is never going to get... Remarried or being in a monogamous relationship again. Cannon's been a hot topic lately after having four kids by three different women in one singular year. In total, he has seven children and fans have been questioning why the comedian and host is impregnating so many women around the same time. Some thought it was due to his complications with lupus that he may want to leave behind a lengthy legacy, but it turns out that is not his reasoning. On Monday, August 9th, Cannon visited the Breakfast Club, where he explained where he stands when it comes to being in a relationship with one person. He described the idea of having only one partner in a lifetime as a Eurocentric concept and said the history behind marriage is to classify property. Detailing the history, Cannon explained, the father gave another man his daughter for land, then later said, I don't want ownership over anybody. Okay, so he explained his position on marriage as a way to classify property because at one point in history it was that well apparently mr cannon hasn't been paying much attention to what has happened not only in history but in the world around him at present because marriage for property rights hasn't occurred in the united states in generations we discussed this in episode two with the uh, the evolution of marriage a little bit, and we forget that time period where men and women entered into marriages strictly to have families, not because anyone wanted to own anyone else, but to enter into marriages at their own will to meet the uh, needs of another person. So that was Mr. Cannon's stance on marriage, and then. Uh, Which to me sounds like a BS excuse to justify the fact that he impregnated so many women and people were criticizing him and the mothers of his children for their familial structure. So on February 1st of this year, um, this man who basically took a large dump on marriage decided that he was going to begin a celibacy journey. And he said, Nick Cannon is setting the record straight about his celibacy journey after confirming that he's expecting an eighth child in this People magazine. The actor and comedian shared in October that he was going to chill out and stick to celibacy, vowing to try and be the best father I can be, the best businessman I can be. During his eponymous talk show Tuesday, Cannon 41 clarified that he didn't break his celibacy after confirming Monday that he and model Bree Tessie are expecting a baby. Cannon explained that he started the celibacy journey after learning the pregnancy news. My therapist was one of the people who said I should probably be celibate. And the reason why is because I had shared the news about Bree being pregnant, he said on the show. That was the reason why I started my celibacy journey back then. So for anyone who's thinking, oh, he wasn't celibate, I was. So the father of, at the time, was eight children decided he was gonna start a celibacy journey rather than just getting a vasectomy. Well, that didn't work. Because as of uh, uh, as of recent, he came out and announced that he would be expecting at least three more children by the fall. And of course, to none of those mothers is he married. Now, how does this fit into the acceptance of baby mama, baby daddy culture? Well, because it has become a norm. Things like this have become normalized where you have a father who are a man who spreads himself and his seed all over planet Earth, basically, and women who are dumb enough to willingly lay down with a man who has that many children. And it's not like he's some normal guy who no one knows uh, that he's out here with all these women. He has he's a celebrity. People know who he is. People um People see him in the spotlight so they know what's going on. He hasn't been quiet about it either. He hasn't tried to cover it up. He hasn't been shy about admitting. And he's got such and such many kids with so many women. Well, here's the problem with that. When you think about things like what we talked about on the first episode, such as father hunger, you have to consider. When you think about these situations, you consider what the kids might be going through. And father hunger is one. Now, as much as he would like to profess that he can be there for all of those children to meet all of their needs—their financial, their physical, their emotional needs. Truth be told, no, you can't. Um, the load, uh, the 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 load of the child rearing and all that stuff has been dumped on the mothers by a man who, of course, will show up. He'll show up and help offer his financial support to an ex- to the extent that he can. But when you think about his conflicting schedule and the relationship that he has to each one of those kids' mothers and whether or not those women have moved forward with their own relationships, we're going to have to consider uh, what's going to happen in those kids' lives. How are they going to adapt to all this? And what they are creating is an environment of confusion. and what um what comes from that confusion is nothing uh good i know that to an extent that father's money will help those kids uh beat some or defy some of the statistics that are the, the risk factors, I should say, um, regarding, you know, things like uh, uh, suicide attempts, risk for juvenile delinquency and things like that. But the best place for child rearing is and always will be in a two parent household. You can't do this, they it's it can be done, but it's not wise to do it in a situation like what Cannon and the mothers of his kids have created. And I don't understand why we're so determined to um, embrace this uh, idea of a man squat just squatting and leaving and letting the mom do all the work. Like, we're not animals. We're supposed to be better than that. If we want to hold ourselves as human beings to a higher standard of intelligence than animals, then we also need to hold ourselves to a standard of better discipline, and that includes in sexual discipline and intelligence and expression of intelligence. Well, Mr. Cannon and people like him don't do that because of how you can see this with how they live. No one person should have that many children with that many people. It just doesn't make Factual sense. It's not there's no logic behind it that is reasonable for anyone involved. It's a situation of chaos, rather, for the children. And you're this is the continuation of normalizing a broken family for a future generation of people who have a right to expect that they have a healthy and a close personal relationship with both their mom and their dad under the union of marriage. Now we continue to bash and denigrate marriage to this oppressive, um, archaic union. However, the flip side of uh, the, I should say the alternative, I should say, to it doesn't seem to be doing. So while we see the dysfunction that Mr. Cannon is displaying in his Familial structure, and while we um, understand that it is a night that we see the dysfunction for what it is, but for some reason or another, we won't uh, we we won't put two and two together and and really commit to the conclusion that the best place for children is to be wed or has to be raised and married two-parent households now i want to say this before i go into the statistics of um the effects of single parent households nothing that i say here today is meant as a was meant to be used as a weapon against single mothers or single fathers i do understand that there is a difference between reporting facts and uh belittling and just badging and beating up on people for no reason because i have noticed a large number of mothers uh, especially single mothers say that they feel like they're being attacked uh on a consistent basis for being the parent that stayed rather than the one that ran away and that's not what we're here to do so if you're listening to this do not use anything that i'm going to say as an excuse to attack a single parent um, they know that their conditions and their circumstances are hard. And honestly, every single mother that I've ever met has told me that had she, if she had, could do it all over again, um, she would have waited and got married before she had her kids because of how hard things are. And of course, the majority of them are, well, actually, all the single mothers I know are, are impoverished. Um, And that's one thing we don't talk about. We don't talk about the fact that, you know, there's the the majority of mothers who are raising children by themselves are poor. And we love, I I remember years ago, uh, there was a kind of a a discussion coming to the forefront about the feminization of poverty and then it just sort of toppled off. Well, if we really want to, if we really Care about ending the feminization of poverty. What we have to, you know, what we have to do is start um, educating people on the facts of uh, raising children or and having children before you're married. Those facts and statistics I have, and I'm going to share them with you in just a minute. So what are the consequences of actions taken by uh, American citizens that mirror what Mr. Nick Cannon uh, is doing and the mothers of his children are doing? Um, and I say this because and not both myself and Mr. Cannon are black and we have a, there's a history of the destruction of our families in this country and it came to uh, it actually the destruction of the family system in the black community was actually one of the biggest causes for problems and a rise in poverty among black americans so i would like i would i would have to ask why would he, especially with all that he has managed as far as financial success, and he could very easily uh, start another family because he was married before. He married a uh, singer, Mariah Carey, and they have two beautiful children together. So why would anyone go so far as to continue as to, I mean, he had done it right the first time. Now, why would he go from there and uh, destroy, the lives of the rest of his children with whom, uh, to whom none of them mothers, he was married. That's a, a question that a lot of people should be asking themselves before they just jump into these institutions where they're playing around and having, they're just sleeping around, I should say, with a certain person and they end up uh, Repeating the same mistakes of previous generations of people in our community, um, and this the the onset of the destruction of the black family was actually predicted back in the nineteen I say sixties or seventies by a man by the name of Patrick Moynihan. Now, if you don't know, Patrick Moynihan craft, drafted what was called the Moynihan Report, and he talked about things such as the black American family and the successes of middle class black America and how. The, Compari- comparatively, the successes of the middle class Black America were actually in danger because of the irresponsible uh, breeding habits of low- of poor class poor class Black Americans. And I'm not, of course, when I say class, I'm talking about socioeconomic status. Um, and taken here from the Moynihan report on under the section. Where he describes a Negro American family, he says, by contrast, the family structure of lower class Negroes is highly unstable and in many urban centers is approaching complete breakdown. There is considerable evidence that the Negro community is, in fact, divided between a stable middle class group that is steadily growing stronger and a more successful and increasing and an increasingly disorganized and disadvantaged lower class group. There are indications, for example, that the middle class Negro family puts a higher premium on family stability and the conserving of family resources than does the white middle class family. The discussion of this paper is not obviously directed to the first group, except as it is affected by the experience of the second, an important exception. There are two points to be noted in this context. First, the emergence and increasing visibility of a Negro middle class may beguile the nation into supposing that the circumstances of the remainder of the Negro community are equally prosperous, whereas just the opposite is true at present and is likely to continue so. Second, the lumping of all Negroes together in one statistical measurement very probably conceals the extent of the disorganization among the lower class group. If conditions are improving for one and deteriorating for the other, the result, uh, the resultant statistical average, might show no change. Further, the statistics of the Negro family and most other, obj- uh, most other subjects treated in this paper refer only to a specific point in time. There are a vertical measure of the situation at a given moment. They do not measure the experience of individuals over time. Thus, the average monthly unemployment rate for Negro males for 1964 is recorded as 9%. But during 1964, some 29% of Negro males were unemployed at one time or another. Similarly, for example, if 36% of Negro children are living in broken homes at any specific moment, it is likely that a far higher percentage uh, proportion of Negro children find themselves in that situation at one time or another in their lives. And that last part is what uh, we have an increase of, our children growing up at higher rates living in one-parent homes. But this episode I get, it can be applied not only, of course, to Blacks, but to everybody, because what we don't discuss is the raising rate of uh, single parent homes across the board. If blacks make up only 14% of the United States population, but 40% of children are born to unwed mothers, then that would that would indicate that not only, like he said, a larger population is of children are born into unwed mother homes, but it would also indicate that more than just black people are having this problem, of a number of our children being born before their mothers and fathers are married so what are the risk factors here so what are the risk factors here what type of uh dangers are there to raising children in a single parent household well i've actually got the answer to that and that is coming from the u.s center uh u.s census bureau and i Report by my safe harbor which says that a report from the US Census Bureau revealed that 62% of new moms in their early 20s are unmarried the report also found that 36% of all moms were unmarried in 2011 up 31% in 2005 and families with low income less than $10,000 that number goes up to 69% so if we Know that uh, single-parent homes are not the ideal place to raise children. Well, there has to be a downside, and well, why is that? Well, what are first of all? What are the risks, um, and why? First, firstly, if you have children that are raised in a home strictly with one parent, but specifically with their mother, what you're adding to not only is a um, number of issues with the child, but you're also diving that kid into poverty. Um, And this is where we used to discuss the feminization of poverty, but we didn't do so from the perspective of looking at the family and saying, listen, um, a large number of this is, a large number of female poverty and child poverty come from broken families. So we know that 40% of all live births in the U.S. are single mothers, 90% of welfare recipients are single moms, 70% of gang members, high school dropouts, teen suicides, teen pregnancies, and teen substance abusers come from single mother homes. We also know that 63% of suicides nationwide are individuals from single parent families, 75% of children with chemical dependencies in chemical dependency hospitals are from single parent homes, and more than half of all youths incarcerated in the U.S., Lived in a one-parent child. I uh, lived in one-parent families as a child. So this belief then that um, a man such as Mr. Cannon can come along and uh, create this, continue to get these women and create these unstable environments for the children, and there be no negative consequences to that. It's just false. Uh, I know people are gonna say, "Well, you're reading the statistics for uh, average people." He's having his children with women that had that were independent um, and had their own money before him. Um, yeah, that's true. However, his child support dollars plus her money uh, to sustain these kids at a life at, at a place that they would be 10 times better off had he been in the home with any one of them compared to uh, what these women would be able to sustain themselves independently if they didn't have the kid. The financial situation on in either of those examples would be better. Um, But the sad thing about it is the statistics regarding this don't may not affect the wealthier people in society, but it does affect the majority of people. let I just say, I was just having a conversation with my girls last night about why we don't follow trends and we don't do what we see other people do because then it becomes this problem of, well, you find yourself in a downward spiral because your behaviors have consequences that you didn't anticipate. And, no one suffers the consequences of your actions but you. So for your average American, what that means is if a girl is middle class when she meets a man and she has a child with him, of course her and that child are going to take a pitfall into poverty because not only is that woman working to sustain herself and to do so, especially today when in an in era of inflation where everything is going up, but... She's going to do so uh, because she has a whole uh, another person relying upon her and her money. And I know that people are going to say, well, that's what child support is for. Well, child support is only supposed to cover a portion of the father's financial responsibility to those kids. Everything else falls on the mother. So these, this idea that dumping 100% of the responsibility or the majority of the responsibility on the mother, including the financial responsibility for those kids while she has to go out and work and earn and then pay out that money to other people as being ideal to the rearing of children is garbage. I don't know why we allowed ourselves to believe that, but we need to let that one, we need to be realistic about that. And uh, we need to tell the truth. It's not an ideal place. Furthermore, Um, 90% of homeless, uh, of all homeless and runaway children were raised by single-parent households. 85% of children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from single-parent households. This is a big kicker for women. 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger were raised in a single-parent household. 71% of all high school dropouts were raised in single-parent households. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers, seventy percent of juveniles in state-operated institutions, eighty-five percent of all youth sitting in prisons today. That is ridiculous. I can't believe that we're still out. Uh, we're still allowing ourselves to buy into this myth that it's better to rear children in broken homes than to return to the roads of the traditional family and raise kids in the two-parent household with mother and father both present and accounted for and participating actively in the lives of that family. But this all goes back to what we talked about in episode two, the deinstitutionalization of marriage. When we decided that marriage should evolve from an an institution focused on uh, meeting the needs of other people and two people working together to meet, the, not only meet the needs of their partners, but secure and build a foundation for the children and sustaining all that through the meeting of the needs of both their, you know, their husband or wife and then of the children. When we took it from that to, to telling married people that it's better for them to thrive as individuals rather than to uh, be a considerate and compassionate partner and to uh, actively, you um, to be to actively do their best to meet their spouse's needs, we went wrong. Evolution isn't always the best idea. I think we had the perfect formula for marriage back in the 1950s when men and women were were um, committed to being companions to one another. When people believed in large mass uh, that honoring their marital vows. Was something that was important not only to them for them to do as a husband or as a wife, but for their spouse to do as well. We had the perfect formula then, and we ruined it by a lot by married people jumping on the bandwagon of the social movement of the human potential movement. That is something that it's it's fine to thrive as an individual when you have no one else depending on you when you don't have to consider other people, but when you're in an institution where you have to consider others and your uh, you decide that you're going to think all, only about yourself. You're actually chipping away at the foundation of the thing that you are built that you built and say that you want to sustain. Marriage now and li- and, and um, relationships now are built around this idea that my partner must meet all of my needs, but I don't have to reciprocate and that is a shame. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me today. Hope you guys tune in Wednesday because I'm going to have a real banger. Uh, as always, here on Consensus Pod with Lady TV, discuss faith, family, and navigating society through the nuclear family structure. You all have a good one.